You could say that you're like leaking happiness. Does anyone say leaking happiness? <laughs> I don't know. I feel oh, like it's, oh, it's leaving. No, <laughs> please. Oh, my happiness. You're like, your happiness is leaking on me. Oh, what are man, you doing? That's what it feels like hanging out with some people. Actually, <laughs> like, oh, your happiness is leaking all over the place. Ugh. I just stepped in the puddle of happy. <laughs> How many like intense optimists do you know? Not enough. <laughs> I was about to say, like, <laughs> me a little bit. But then I can be really down on comics. You guys wouldn't believe it, but I can actually... I'm really positive until I don't like Spider-Man Blue. I still still can't believe you didn't like that. And Dallas is also really positive until he finds out that I didn't like Spider-Man Blue. Until I have to read Tokyo Ghoul. <laughs> We're never going to let that one go. Dude, it sucks We're just going to so bring bad. it up so many times. I was going through my... Reorganizing my bookshelf yesterday, and I saw I still have the first two paper volumes of that, and I was like, I don't want you on my shelf. Which is too bad, because those were so good. They were. The beginning was so were, great. I'm so glad I didn't spend more money on that series, because like, I really liked the first two volumes, and then I was like, then we just read the rest on the app, you know? Yeah. So the moral of the story is, get the Shonen Jump app. It's so dang cheap compared to everything. Like, Dude, like, Comixology is dope, but the Shonen Jump app puts it to shame. Yeah, just because it costs a third of the price. Yeah, and it has so much content. So yep. much and plus it's like fun because like long form content you know where mm-hmm. it's like you can read a longer story that's going to keep your attention for a while and you can kind of count on the quality with with comics it can be a little bit more like pull this out of the bin put that back in the bin never look at that again but yeah. then this one's great and it's a little bit more like hit or miss this one's like you find a hit you got a, a lot of hits coming that's honestly a decent segue into what we talk about today because hellboy is one of those like long form always good things like one creator was like time to make a story for 25 years and it's been good the whole time we're talking about about hellboy by what's his name mike mignola has he done anything else basically hellboy but he did a really good job, so we're not complaining. It is so good. Like, I I really enjoyed it. Dude, thank goodness. I was so worried because I was like, Hellboy's a little bit of a weird pick. Yeah. Like, it's kind of... Basically, Mike Mignola is like, I'm going to make this really charismatic blue-collar protagonist, and I'm just going to hop him through my interests for 25 years. And so, like, Seed of Destruction, the first one that he ever published... Back in 1994, with the help of John Byrne, who I don't know if you know who John Byrne is, but he was teamed up with Chris Claremont in the 80s, and they made, like, the seminal X-Men run. Like, gotcha. the, the X-Men are going to be cool for the rest of Forever run. And Mike Mignola was like, I've got this great idea. I'm going to do all the art. I do not feel confident to script. John Byrne, can you come help me? Oh, really? Which is funny, because John Byrne's the artist on those X-Men ones. But John Byrne hmm. also, like, does... He was a huge name in comics at the time. And so he comes on, and basically they pulled, like, a Stanley and Jack Kirby, where Mike Mignola drew the whole thing, came up with the whole story, and then John Byrne came in and, like, filled in the dialogue bubbles. And that's the only time that has happened in Hellboy. After that, Mike Mignola was like, thank you so much. You were great. That was so fun. I think I can take it from here. And so after Seed of Destruction, is it the omnibus that he was part of? No, just... Just Seed of Destruction, the four-issue series. Oh, really? Everything else was Mike Mignola from there. And it was so good. But yeah. Well, yeah. First impressions of mine. This was Dallas's choice. It was really, really good. 
it was really solid. I mean, there were times when I was worried it was going to lose me because it like was like, let's go into a bunch of depth about paranormal history and have like a fair bit of text. And I was like, I hope I don't have to remember any of this stuff. And then you don't. And it's a little bit of a joke sometimes that people are like, this is your destiny, Hellboy. You're the one that's been prophesied. And he's like, don't care. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> that is, it's the best because it's like, it is played for kicks. You know, he is funny. He is sassy. But like, there's such throughout, I'm like halfway through the Hellboy series now. I've read like like, the whole thing. of the whole thing of the 25 years. I have become addicted to Hellboy. He is my everything. I literally got a commission of him over the week. Oh, really? Yeah, Steve Lieber, the artist. I just messaged him. I was like, are you doing commissions right now? Yeah. We drove me Hellboy. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. It turned out great. He sent it to me. But there's this phenomenal, like, long-lasting theme through Hellboy of, like, expectations. And then you, an individual, basically choosing their own destiny like the demons from hell are always coming and being like hellboy this is your destiny you're going to be the beast of the apocalypse and hellboy's like kapow nope i'm gonna go do this instead and it's so fun and you feel like it would get old but it like still never does never (laughs) and it's just really fun to see him do that and we should talk at some point about the movie because I saw the movie when I was younger and liked it and I think it'd be fun to kind of contrast the things. But like the character of Hellboy is really great because like Dallas says, yeah, he's he's blue collar. He's just kind of like almost like a beat cop, but with he's supposed to start the apocalypse and he kind of doesn't care about so many things and he's just tough as nails. And it's just like this really fun mixture of like destroy the world but he's kind of funny and he gets kind of bugged at just like really awful things. He just takes them as like, man, this is every day. And it's, it's wonderful. I love, I don't, how much did you read? Did you just read? So I read the omnibus. Like, Oh, volume one of the omnibus. I'm pretty sure it was. It had like wolves of St. Augustine. Like, yeah. <gasps> there's so much more we can talk about. No, Wake the, the devil. Yeah. <gasps> we got to talk about Roger the homunculus. Oh, this is going to be a good episode. Everybody. This is going to be a good one. Um, and for those of you who have not read this, if you do want to, like, you can get Comixology Unlimited, and it's like six dollars a month. You probably you could read it a month, but I think it's also like the first omnibus is like seven fifty, just to buy, which is crazy, which is really stinking good. So, like, really worth checking out. It's one of the funner comics that we've read in a little while. Oh yeah, this is this is top tier comics. Like, I love comic books but like i can admit when i'm like this is a comic book but then like hellboy is straight up literature like i want hellboy taught i want the themes of hellboy explored and it's so fun it's just such an iconic character going through so much of the world's history you get this grab bag of like some super lovecraftian stuff in seed of destruction in seat of destruction with cavendish manor and the tentacle monsters and like that is straight up lovecraft and then you have like these pulp nazi fighting vibes in that one and then like basically wake the devil he's like i'm gonna tell what if dracula and the nazis teamed up and our blue collar boy goes and fights him and then over in wolves of saint augustine he's like ready for the greatest werewolf story ever told and he just keeps hopping this iconic wonderful character through all these different genres 
that are all like twinged with spookiness all like they have like this slimy feeling to them a little bit you know yeah it was it was a good october read like really just match the season and yeah it is fun because you have things where he like bumps into lamia like the god from babylon and you're like i know that that means something and it's just kind of all these funny parts where it's like i wasn't gonna clobber you out of respect for your position in occult history but you started this (laughs) and it's just like fun historical creepy and it's such a good blend of like a ton of different things so and there is way more of a historical fiction twinge to it than I expected. Like, a lot of the backstories that they get for stuff are real things that happened. Like, Vladimir Rasputin, the Russian dark wizard guy that travels throughout the Zomnibus, he was, like, a real person that really got killed by getting stabbed and shot and thrown in the river. Like, I remember learning about him in European history, and then this is just like, and now he's a dark wizard, which is so fun. I want to talk for a second about the character design of Hellboy. The way he pops on the page with, I mean, there's a reason Dave Stewart is the colorist on this. So basically, like, the tag page for Omnibus 1 is John Byrne helped write the words for Seated Destruction. Mike Mignola did all the art in the Omnibus, right? He starts to get substitute artists later on because he was feeling a little burnout. But Omnibus 1, it's all him and all the colors, Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart wins the Eisner every single year for coloring because of what he does on Hellboy. Every year. It's like a running joke in the industry at this point. Like, and winning again, Dave Stewart for Hellboy. Again. 25 years in a row, baby. No one else touches him. And it makes sense. I believe it. Because, like, the the only thing that could... That reminded me of, like, this level of kind of, like, pop and just flash in the art is like the long Halloween, mm-hmm. which has like so much drama and so much contrast. And it's it's really, really fun to look at. It's just so seeped with Mignola's inks and colors. Everything is so soaked in shadow. Everything is so dark and gritty and spooky. Like you have these dark gray tombstones just floating around all the time. Skeletons, cobwebs. And there's like the bright red pop of Hellboy. You can You never lose them on a page ever and just the his horns being shaved down to look like goggles up on his forehead is perfect he looks like a pulp hero i was laughing i didn't notice that he just has like biker shorts on basically like just like spandex shorts and then his giant coat love it and he's got like his red legs and he's got like little like goat hooves yeah feet yeah yeah and i didn't even notice that for like the first like six issues until he like kicked something and i was like what the and just that bad A, the right fist of uh, yeah, doom. The, the oh, big old arm. It is perfect. He is so perfect. It is really fun. And, like, all the character designs are really great. Like, Abe, Sapi- Abe Sapien, really fantastic. And it's funny because at, at the end of the omnibus, he had, like, a drawing of his first team because he's like, originally I was thinking, like, a bunch of paranormal Justice League sort of thing. But then only Abe and Hellboy stayed, and I used a couple other characters somewhere else and it's like it makes sense Mm -hmm. they were cool characters super fun hellboy trivia so we're based out of utah the very first drawing of hellboy ever was a promotional picture for salt lake city comic-con oh really yeah yeah they were like can you draw something cool mike mignola you're here and he's like yeah do do draw drew this demon guy it doesn't look anything like how hellboy ended up but then he put the name hellboy next to it and he was like name made me laugh so i kept working with it and then there's actually a comic shop up in Salt Lake that has the second drawing of him ever from oh, that really? from that same Comic-Con they went. 
And they're like, hey, could you draw me something? He's like, I'm kind of workshopping this character. Can I draw them? And they're like, yeah. And so they just have it up on the... I went and saw it this week because I was like, I like Hellboy now. It was really cool. That is really fun. But yeah, story, super great. And Okay, I, I kind of want to talk about the movie now. Okay. When I was young, I saw Hellboy, which was a little bit of a surprise because the name was Hellboy. And my parents are a little bit a lot of bit conservative about these kinds of things <laughs> and it's funny because it's like i remember i think they okayed it like the first time but later when i i enjoyed it they were like what do you mean you want to see hellboy again what's that can we even say that name <laughs> like <laughs> and so it was really funny and have you have you seen the movie i have long ago i have like vague impressions from a 10 year old liking it i wanted to watch it again before this but i didn't get to it yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to watch it again because it's like, yeah, I, I watched it like as a tween. I remember it being pretty good mm-hmm. and the characters were interesting. They they introduced like kind of a, a normie investigator. Um, but I do admit that the Hellboy in the comic book is better than the Hellboy in the movie because it kind of made the Hellboy in the movie a meathead. And he's just like, it's my job. I'm doing it. And he's kind of dumb. And so that was kind of fun in this is like. Hellboy, while he is just kind of like, I, I punch my way out of problems, he's not stupid. And he actually, like, thinks things through and just really is his own strong character. And it's really fun to have a strong character. And especially because then you, you can pitch him up against these, like, really zany things. But I do like the character in this more than in that. I love just the tired feel of Hellboy because Seed of Destruction, where the series starts is 50 years after he started yeah and so like they they explore a lot of that time period in some of the short stories that mike mignola did over the years so there are like two omnibus volumes just of short stories but you just like he's got a chip on his shoulder he's kind of over all this crap you know like a vampire shows up and he's not like (gasps) he's like oh my hell another vampire okay all right and then like i love how seeped the first volume basically seed of destruction to conqueror worm is like the nazis are the bad guys and then after that it gets more into like hellboy's destiny monsters occult stuff like that which is great but like this first little stint where he's just like these damn nazis and their damn nazi plants is perfect like who doesn't like punching nazis there is no easier way to make someone endearing than to have them sock a nazi like, right in the beginning, you know? Yeah, especially undead Nazis. Yeah, it's perfect. Nazi heads in jars. Perfect. Perfect. Gorilla, Frankenstein gorillas that work for Nazi heads in jars. You're just, you're itching the scratch over and over, man. Yep. And it's just like, that's one of the things is like, the characters are really rich. Even, that was one thing that was interesting. Like, they had like this kind of bad guys plotting to do the whole thing, take over the world and stuff. And yeah, Hellboy thwarts them like once or twice, but then also one of them is just like selfish and like has a friend that he wants that he wants to save, who ends up like kind of throwing everything off. And so it's fun that like even your villains aren't one dimensional, and you get to have moments with Rasputin, who seemed like at first just like this ultimate evil. I can do whatever I want. I rule the world. This is all futile. I set this whole thing up to have like kind of sad moments where somebody's like, "Well, you failed." What are you going to do? He's like, not give up. And they're like, well, wrong answer, but okay. And 
it's just like so humanizing for like all of the characters and it makes it for a really engaging world even when it's not just focused on hellboy yeah and it just feel it feels like a very real world for hellboy to live in like it's not our world but the characters are believable they're three-dimensional right but then like when you meet the goddess hecate and the greek goddess hecate half serpent half woman and wake the devil like she feels like she belongs there too and she interacts with people in meaningful ways she carries the weight she's supposed to when like hell the world of hellboy just seems so fleshed out and it it kind of feels like when you read the lord of the rings and you're like wow tolkien came up with an entire mythology and history and then plunked his characters down like after all the cool stuff happened and you just get like little passing references back you get this sense of weight Hellboy feels that exact same way picking up in 1994. Like, you know that none of this is new to Hellboy. You know that, like, when they bring up the Ogdru Jihad up floating in space, trapped away, they explain later on in the series more of what that is. But just right away, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, big old death serpent up in the sky. Yeah, were the bad guys going to unlock that? Man, those crazy Nazis. And, like, he just, there is such a beautiful simplicity in how Mike Mignola is able to take your hand and invite you into this gothic world with them and you never really feel lost even when it gets weird yeah and it's it's not even just with the gothic things like there's part where he's going after dracula and they're flying a plane they're like okay you gotta jump out and th- th- he's like i hate this and they're like don't worry we got you like a new jump pack and he's like yeah it's more reliable sure and he jumps out and it inevitably doesn't work and he just falls as this flaming (laughs) hellboy of doom and crashes into this castle and it's fantastic but just the fact that and he's like see i kind of knew it wouldn't work and there's just small moments like that where there's like history there that they never show you which makes you feel like you're just coming like along as part of the story instead of somebody's like here's the exact story i'm going to tell you exactly what you need to think and nothing else and don't consider about like what happened to these characters before and how hellboy feels about the minister of the paranormal departments and but you can tell that it's like the author thought of it all and it's in his head and he can reference those things and it really makes it feel just fleshed out and nice and comfy i would agree with what you were saying like mike mignola never tells you how to feel about how the story is going the thing that comes to mind for me is the wolves of saint augustine like Basically, it sets up this story where they come to a town and they find out that the royal family of that town had been cursed by a monk that to become wolves with the full moon, right? And he did that because he found them worshiping the devil, which then was like, it might have been like a fertility goddess or something. Like, it's like a non-Christian god is what they were worshiping. And he came in here as like, heathens! And just curses them to be werewolves for the rest of history. And... There's, like, this sadness in the the wolves. You know, like, they're not these monsters that are like, oh, boy, time to shred the town. Like, they talk about how painful the transformation is. And then there's, like, almost, like, this liberating feeling when Hellboy defeats him and frees them all. So you're left there like, huh, like, who's the good guy in this story? In, like, that myth, you know? Hellboy comes in and he sets right this deep wrong. But then there are other times when, like, I mean, Hellboy calls on, like, the name of the Judeo-Christian god, like, numerous times with, like, all these different names. And, like, there's a heaven, there's a hell, all this. And it just feels like Mike Mignola is like, everybody's mythology is right, and we're going to see how they play together. And he doesn't tell you how to feel about any of it. And I think that's a really, really fun balance that he strikes. Yeah, and it's also fun because 
it'll totally break your expectations. Like there'll be a moment where Hellboy gets attacked and he falls through the floor down to the basement. And then he's like, oh man, here are the skeletons of the people that kind of caused this curse. Wish I could get out of here. And the skeletons like look up and you're like, oh shoot, he's got to fight him. And then they're like, the door's over there. That's so good. <laughs> and, and, so good. And he's like, oh, thanks. And I just love how it like subverts your expectations from like, monster fighting to you know sometimes the monsters are good and you're a monster and it has a really good balance of that which i feel like plays into the overall theme of you get to choose your destiny Mm -hmm. and so it's not like hellboy's the one evil thing who betrays all the other evil things there's some other evil things that are pretty good like abe sapien's weird and liz is a pyrokinetic who's hurt a lot of people but can do good but has a lot of flaws it's a very believable story mm-hmm. because it's not black and white and the world functions on its own, not really how you'd expect it to. I forget, is almost Colossus in this omnibus That's where you meet Colossus. yeah, where you meet the homunculus's brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about Roger the homunculus okay. because I think he is such a beautiful storytelling device for like Hellboy to work through his own feelings about himself and to like teach you in a non-clunky way how Hellboy's feeling about everything, you know? Because, like, Roger comes in, and it explores a little bit more of this in Conqueror Worm in Omnibus 2, which, if you... You can stop there if you want, but I think you should read Conqueror Worm if you were liking what you're reading. Um, we can talk about that after the podcast. But but basically, Roger the Homunculus is someone that they discover down in the basement of one of the castles in Wake the Devil, who sucks away the life force of Liz Sherman, like... Well, not gives it to him. yeah yeah so it's it's already a gray area because like, he didn't steal it she gave it to him but also like she ends up dying because of this and it's it's this whole thing and so he wakes up after 500 years he's a homunculus which if you don't know that weirdly like first time i heard about that was full metal alchemist and then you know when you like hear a word and then you hear it like 400 times after that that's been homunculus for me has been like it is everywhere since i learned what it was but basically, Roger is this artificial human that is powered by electricity or later Liz Sherman's fire that joins the BPRD. He gets to come be a part of the team. And there's this really great story where he has to interact with another homunculus that was made by the same master that doesn't share the same empathy or affinity for humankind. That really is like, I am different than them and therefore like we can't coincide i'm going to be better than them like i'm full of hate towards humanity and roger and this other homunculus roger's brother become like really interesting parallels of what hellboy could be like hellboy is the other just like roger he stands in a room and yes abe sapien is a fun slimy guy but a lot of the time hellboy is standing in a room with a bunch of people and he's a giant red demon you know and he can make a choice to be like roger or to be like that homunculus, how the demons want him to. And I just think that that was such... There are so many movies that want to tell you the moral of the story like four times in the exact same way. And you're just like, I get it. I'm smart. Let me let me be a part of your story. And it was just such a powerful way to re-hit home like some of the things you were supposed to be picking up about Hellboy. But doing it through introducing a new, fun, complex character. Yeah, which is interesting because like, I didn't think about that theme. I thought it was really interesting about how they both were kind of like wronged but one of them chose to try and just be there for like the two people that he met and defend them and the other person is like all the people that i do know don't deserve to live but i didn't think about it like as a parallel for hellboy 
And, and I really like that, that I can be part of the story a little bit, even with the description of the themes and like learning these things. I also just want to point out how funny it is that we don't get to see the naming of Roger the homunculus that he's just like this homunculus and then Hellboy and him show up back at the BPRD and he's like what up this is Roger and they're like Roger and like so in my head I just immediately had like Hellboy and Roger in the back seat of like some Romanian taxi and he's like I'm gonna call you Roger sure sounds good that's your name now yeah and it's great because it's just almost like a lesson in the show don't tell thing, which I'm sure we've mentioned a whole bunch if you listen to this consistently, is it lets things happen that it doesn't show you, and it lets funny things happen off screen, and it lets you make inferences about the characters and things that have happened in the past because of the things. Like when Hellboy brings Roger back, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but they need to give Liz her fire back so that she doesn't die. And they're like, Hellboy, we're sorry you're too late. She died three minutes ago. And he's like, nobody gets to die until I say that they're dead. And it's it's like this fun kind of like joke moment, but you also can like see so much into his character and into the past and just how it's kind of like he's learned that if he just keeps pushing for what he wants, he gets it more often than he gets told no. And so it's fun how those jokes are funny, but they also lend to the characters and the stories so well. And I do think that the tone of this story is so consistent, but it juggles so many balls at the same time. Like Hellboy can be really inspiring and awesome and this great heroic figure. He can be really sardonic and funny and just kind of like poking holes in the world that he exists in it can be like really mythic it can be like oh my gosh gods demons serpents and it can also be like go punch a nazi in the face it can be it just wears so many different hats and it they never really drown each other out it stays so tonally consistent yeah and it's interesting because that was one of the things in the first story of seed of destruction where all this stuff is happening Hellboy almost doesn't do anything the whole time like, he definitely would have just died, except that Abe Sapien showed up, possessed by some dude's spirit, to save the day. And it's really interesting how it's like, it's willing to let you feel helpless, or to feel like, well, that resolved itself easily, but then there are consequences. And so just the way that it's able to switch to so many things, you almost never see that in media. They're all like so tonally like, this is our genre, we stick to our genre, we don't play out of our genre because if we do people will get mad and this one's like let's turn ourselves into our own tentacle monster with genres on each tentacle and start hitting you with them and it works out like so well i think that's what makes hellboy so long-lasting and appealing like i don't ever foresee hellboy not being interesting you know because hell the main hellboy series ends with hellboy in hell the like it became its own separate series it was basically like a bookend I'm like, this is the end of the Hellboy and his destiny. But then after that, they were like, all right, let's hop over. And now we're going to tell the 50 years before the rest of it started. And now there's Hellboy and the BPRD, which has been going on for like 10 years, basically. And you don't run out of things to do with Hellboy because you can have a short story where he goes and meets some werewolves. Some of his most famous stories are about this time that he went on a five-month bender in Mexico. And he basically like went down there to hunt some vampires, made a buddy, the buddy died and he's like, and then I got so drunk, I don't remember any of it. And so then for like five years, Mike Mignola every year would be like, hey, want to hear what he did in Mexico on that bender again? 
And so they're like these five little short stories about Hellboy in Mexico, and they're amazing. And like that is so tonally different than the tentacle monsters of Seed of Destruction, but that central tenet of Hellboy and who he is keeps it interesting and keeps it fun. Okay, I have a question. I do not understand how it can set the stakes so high, resolve them all, and still keep me that invested. And I'm really curious if you have thoughts about that, because almost nothing else has been able to do that for me as well. Yeah, because it should be disappointing when Abe Sapien comes in and just like deus ex machina ends seed of destruction a little bit. But it's it carries the weight because like it's not a final resolution. You know, you're like, there's more story going on here. There is an arc, and like with Sea Destruction, with Wake the Devil, with Conqueror Worm, Island, Wild Hunt, and then Hellboy in Hell, like it's basically Mike Mignola just mastered the ability to be like, here's a little peak. Oh, that's resolved. And we're going to go up, and we're going to go up. And so you never, you don't feel like a slog of waiting for something exciting to happen because within four issues, he fights a giant space tentacle monster cthulhu stand in defeats a dark wizard like solves the mystery of this house but like that's not it they just move on immediately to vampires and they move on and it's it has this shifting genre where like there can be these little resolutions that aren't actual resolutions to the story does that make sense yeah that does make sense and i feel like also just the fact that he kind of doles out little bits and pieces more like you kind of think that you're going to find something out because like first four chapters, then it's like, you think the world is about to end, you know? And I was like, I thought there was more of this. Maybe this is a really limited series or something, but then it doesn't. And then you're like, okay, I guess things are moving on. And they kind of joke about it, but they do give you answers. And, but it's really interesting because like most things, you know, like I I think about Naruto where it's like, they have these buildups of like, you're coming to this head, you're coming to this head, you're coming to this head. Then the big thing happens, and then it kind of like goes back, and they have to learn to get ready for the next threat. But this one, it kind of surprised me, because it's like, there's a bunch of stuff in the beginning, and then it's kind of normal for just a second. But then there's a bunch of crazy stuff. Maybe the world's going to end. And then we resolve that. But then we got another thing, and it just surprises me how it doesn't follow the, the the standard pattern of just like going slow. I don't know. It just totally does its own thing, and I'm surprised at how well it works. Yeah. And I realize I've been muttering and I've said a whole bunch of things wrong this whole time. But yeah, no, no, it like it just keeps climbing and never stops being interesting. And you're just served so much with Seed of Destruction to explore. Like it doesn't feel like a waste of time when immediately after that you have two stories where Hellboy's kind of figuring out like what on earth were they talking about with like who he is and where he came from. And you don't even think about the Ogdru Jihad and the big space Cthulhu monsters for like a while. And then when they come back though, you're like, oh yeah, all that crap. And But they like keep referencing them a little bit throughout the stories. And it's just like, there's just so much good storytelling right off the bat that it really carries the story for 25 years now. Where, like, that initial idea was so rich that there have been little niches to explore ever since. Yeah, and I guess I feel like that's also kind of the show-don't-tell almost of secrets, you know? Like, when they had this random moment when they're about to summon this world-ending serpent Agru Jihad, and then it, like, cuts to, like, some other, like, kind of advanced race, and they're like, somebody's trying to pull this thing out of this planet, and they're like, idiots, he'll just destroy the whole thing, he's so big, and it's just, like, one panel, and it's gone, but it makes you, like, understand the stakes, for one, makes you understand that 
what's his name Rasputin is actually an idiot and there isn't you don't really need to second guess his behaviors but it also kind of opens up like okay there's like other things that are bigger out here and so it, it does a good job of like establishing those questions without telling you this is a question you should be aware of think about this who are those people it never tells you to do that but it keeps it engaging because there are things like that and what's so fun is like mike mignola has made it very apparent the like he a lot of the mythology kind of came as he went like he's like i wrote seed of destruction i went man that's really cool and then like he started answering the questions himself of who hellboy was what all this meant but he does such a good job of never retconning but sometimes recontextualizing like there's a really great story down the way called the island where they really get into like who the Ogdru Jihad are. They introduce this idea of like Ogdru him. And that explains like the monster from the first one. They really get into like what Hellboy's fist is. And it doesn't contradict any of the seeds that they've planted along the way, but it serves as like this really great culmination. And I have no idea how Mike Mignola has written a mythology interesting enough that I don't care when there's an info dump for like four pages like some bad guy will be like, I know time to tell you about the occult. And I'm like, Oh daddy. Whereas like any other comic, I'm like, Lord, beer me, beer me strength, beer me strength. Okay. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm just talking in circles with like Hellboy being amazing. Hellboy being a rich tapestry where like I was ner I was anxious because I read the first two Omnibi and then like there were some passing references to some of the short stories I didn't understand in the second omnibus. So I was like, I should probably go back and read those. And I was like, oh, I don't want to like hop out of the story. Like it's so good. It's ramping so well. Oh, BS. That, that was so fun. That was so fun to go see what Hellboy was up to in Mexico. It like, there are no slow moments. There isn't, there isn't a single story so far. Maybe I'll hate the ending. I don't know. But like, I don't think I will. Like there hasn't been a story that I haven't liked yet. At least on some degree. I definitely have favorites, but they're all honestly bangers. Yeah, and I feel like this kind of goes back to another thing we've been talking about is when you have like a single creative team who doesn't have to live up to what a studio wants, they can make some really creative, new, interesting things. And I love creative, new, interesting things. And I wish we saw more of these, but we don't. And it's like, I'm wondering, how do we get more attention for the things like these that are fantastic? Because I feel like if comics were more like Hellboy and Invincible more often, they'd be in a better place. I really honestly do. It's just interesting where, like, there are a lot of stories from, like, the mid-90s to, like, 2008. Comics were like this. Like... I, Preacher isn't your thing at all. I would never recommend it to you, but like Preacher is like Hellboy. You read Preacher and you're like, holy balls, how did they do this? This is all so good. This Wow, what a story. Hellboy is like this. Invincible is like this. And I really think there was this watershed moment with the Iron Man movie. And I don't want to be like a doom and gloom. Combat books are going to die because of... That's not true. Co- graphic novel sales were up 42% this quarter in bookstores, oh, really? which is huge. That is a huge margin. And so, like, comic books aren't going anywhere. I don't like when people are doom and gloom. But, like, you don't have as many avenues for people to make a living making their creator own thing anymore because Marvel and DC have taken up so much of the space. Like, whereas they used to make up, like, 60% of the market, they now make up, like, 90% of the market. And and there's also just, like, with 
the democratization of information and just people's ability to view anything all the time like i feel like there are so many good things that just get drowned out and like everyone is fighting over the same 10 percent share of the collected conscious online like it's hard to get a breakout like mike mignola you know like if mike mignola started hellboy right now i wonder if it would gain the traction that it did you know i like i i can't say one way or the other i really love it i think it's great but and it's also there's just this model now where everybody is writing to get a Netflix adaptation. I feel like people are people are writing IPs for them to be IPs. Maybe that's a cynical way to look at it. Mike Mignola made something beautiful that then people came and were like, "Can we try and adapt this?" And he's like, "Sure, Guillermo del Toro, you can," because you're we're on the same brainwave. Yeah, and I, I do feel like the movie it was interesting because the plot was really different, but I feel like it was kind of true to it. Mm-hmm just the things that happened and i even saw the second one and that one was also decent but i really should rewatch them like you're gonna watch them and be like these movies suck and i'm like i guess that's my 12 year old recommendation um but yeah i just i just really wish that there were more things like that and i feel like with the netflix adaptation thing it goes both ways because you have like the old guard which got turned into a netflix adaptation i've never really heard of it but then like we talked to Kyle Starks about Old Head. Old Head's not going to get adapted no, into not. something. And, like, as much as I want Assassination to be adapted into something, I don't know that it ever will be. But I really think that we, like, should support things like this because I love them. They're so I, I want more of them. And not that superhero comics can't be amazing and really, really good. I just feel like when you kind of give yourself more of a canvas and more to work with, you can make some new things that actually make an impact because like the superhero things that i love i do love them but they don't stick with me as much no no they they don't have the same staying power you know like i love spider-man i will read spider-man comics until i die i feel like as long as i print them i'm gonna read them they didn't touch me like hellboy touched me you know i don't think they ever will like even peak spider-man like you read something like craven's last hunt or for me like spider island you're like, wow, what a story. That was so amazing. I had so much fun. And you remember it fondly. But, like, you can ask my wife. All I've talked about for, like, three weeks has been Hellboy. All I can think about is Hellboy. All I can, like, I'm just sitting there wondering at how one man's brain can create so much. And that's so special. Invincible was that way when we pounded through Invincible. Saga has been that way for me. Preacher has been that way for me. Even, like, on the flip side, within the constraints of DC, like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing was that way. When he was like, hey, can I have Swamp Thing? You guys aren't doing anything interesting with Swamp Thing. And he made it like this weirdo, gothic horror, like trippy, psychedelic saga. Amazing. Incredible. And it's like, stuff like this is possible. I think we spend so much time being caught up in all the mediocre comics when stuff like this is going on all the time, you know? Yeah, and I think also part of it is just like the format. With when you read Spider-Man, it can be a great story that you know will be undermined later. And so I feel like we almost have like these reservations in the back of our head where it's like, I loved Superman up in the sky. But I realized that Superman up in the sky is almost kind of like an alternate Superman that doesn't fit into the timeline at all. And I can't take this story as seriously as I want to. And so I feel like that's part of it. It's just that with Hellboy and you know that it's just like a one whole continuation all of the same thing everything goes and all of the points matter because they can't be undone 
and it sticks with you a little bit more and i really appreciate that in stories yeah i mean when i think about the the superhero stories that have really stuck with me over the years a lot of them do boil down to like those dc elseworld tales like i i am an avid marvel comics reader but like i don't know that i can point to any singular marvel story and be like that's it that is a phenomenal story to hand somebody whereas dc i can be like here is darwin cook's the new frontier this is one of the best things ever written i can hand them batman the long halloween and be like here you go i can hand them year one i can hand them superman up in the sky i can even like on the inverse i can hand them jeff john's green lantern run that was like 10 years long and basically everyone just took their hands off and let him make a 10 year long crazy story about the green lanterns be like here you go this is one creator's vision one person had something amazing going on and they were left alone to do it and that's becoming increasingly rare in the comics world i feel like where people are allowed to just do whatever they want with the character and create really good things from it maybe it's always been this way and maybe i'm just reading into it but like i just i find i found this year there have been two creators that i love their creator own stuff and then they hopped onto batman and wonder woman respectively garbage can they've been writing garbage can stuff and yes, they are what, what if I interview them sometime? I guess in my head, for my brain, I was like, it better not be Daniel Warren Johnson because he's my favorite, and I know that he did Wonder Woman. No, that wasn't a good Wonder Woman story, but it was a good story. Dead Earth, good stuff. No, it's someone different. But it makes you wonder like, how much DC is steering the wheel on these stories and preventing stuff like Mike Mignola's Hellboy, where that is one person's vision, that is one person's interests, and it you can feel the passion in it, you know? When he writes a story about a vampire in Romania, you know, he dedicated in the trade paperback, he said dedicated to Dracula because like Dracula was his favorite book growing up. Or there's a short story that I just read of his where little boy Hellboy basically goes through the plot of Pinocchio because he loved Pinocchio and he wanted to tell Pinocchio with Hellboy. And there's a great parallel there where like Hellboy wants to be a real boy, but he's a little demon boy. And like, it's just great. It's great. It's everything that Mike Mignola loves with this wonderful character exploring it. And you can feel the love. You can feel the passion. And with that love and passion comes quality. Yeah. I guess that's more of the story. Like, I wish there are more of these things and I wish to support more of these things because I do enjoy superhero comics in general, but never as never will be as memorable as giant days which we haven't done on the podcast and we totally should the last volume comes out on tuesday oh really and i that's the one comic story i have ever actually made myself wait to read in trade paperbacks so it's been done for like a year now i finally get to finish giant days on tuesday and i think i'm gonna read them all again that is that'll be fun which do i like more giant days or hellboy they're so different but they're both really good. <laughs> wow. I'm like having an extra surprise here now. Um, I want to talk about the art for a minute. Okay. Of Hellboy. What do you think of Mike Mignola's art style? I really enjoyed it. Like, it, it's funny because it's one of those things where I it didn't, like, make me sit down and be like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. But it, it helped me get into the story, like, really well. Like, nothing took me out of the story with that art, which is impressive because there's some crazy stuff happening and so it has to be like surreal enough 
to make you not question the crazy stuff, but it can't be, but then it's gritty. And so it's like a really good balance that I can very comfortably enjoy it and not think about it a ton. What do you think? I really like in the forward to Conqueror Worm, Guillermo del Toro called uh, Mike Mignola's Arcel frustratingly simple. He was like, it was so hard to adapt. He said, because you look at any of those panels and you're like, wow, this is cinematic. This is huge this is beautiful and he's like i tried to recreate that in three-dimensional space and i had to be like screw it i just got to do my own thing like can't do it you cannot adapt these almost like gothic horror minimalist oil painting but not really but also a cartoon but also a cartoon like there's just so much it's frustratingly simple there are like there are few sharp lines that define out these characters and then they're just filled with life they are just they're amazing it i'm i'm at a loss for words that's not there's not a sense of realism to them there's not a sense of cartoonishness to them but there is at the same time and they totally occupy their world well and i want to see everything drawn in mike mignola's style well yeah i mean that's one of the things that's so interesting is like it's an art style that lets you have world-ending monsters and also has hellboy's jetpack explode and him just like fall through a bavarian castle like a flaming bomb of i don't know what into dracula's lair where the nazis are hiding out and it's like so interesting how they can take that specific of a thing and make it simple and funny and serious it's i don't know but it does it so well i also i love again talking about passion with Mike Mignola being both the writest, writer, writest, and the ardor, is what I almost said. The writest and the ardor. He he only draws stuff that he likes. Like, I read an interview with him, and there are a lot of apes in this story. And it's because, like, for one of the first promotional things for Hellboy, before Sea Destruction even came out, he drew the Nazi head in the glass jar and the Frankenstein gorilla, like... As just a giant spoof of Frankenstein, basically. And Hellboy came. It's the only time Hellboy saves a damsel in distress. Because Mike Mignola was like, I don't like that trope. But he he did that. And then he was like, I realized I really liked drawing monkeys with, like, bolts coming out of their necks. So they show up all the time. All the time. And, like, they're fun. And they're crazy. Like, in Wake the Devil, when that monkey... Or, no, that's Box Full of Evil. Is Box Full of Evil in Omnibus 1? I don't remember reading the titles. What happens? Uh, there's a little demon in a box that comes out as a fly. No. Oh, you got to read Omnibus 2. Omnibus 2 slaps. Um, okay, never mind then. But there, there's this monkey that, like, kidnaps Abe Sapien, basically. And there are just these great scenes with this awful monkey. Because Mike Mignola decided that he really liked to draw monkeys. On the counter, Mike Mignola doesn't like drawing cars. So there are like three cars in the whole Hellboy series. I love it though, just because it's authentic, you know, and you can feel that in this that there's just like a lot of soul and it's authentic, and it's fun. So I'm I'm glad that he only draws what he likes, just because then you don't get burnout and you can write a t- series for 25 years. That's so long. That's how long I've been alive. But I also love that he realized when he was feeling burnt out. And so then he put out his feelers and he pulled in some amazing artists to help him out. And it's it was his baby because that's one of my biggest complaints. Like, I love Ryan Otley. Great guy. Did great work on Invincible. He's done some great commissions for me. He's from Utah right here. Really great guy. It was so frustrating for me when he was announced as the Spider-Man artist. And then 
Marvel just has a pace where they want a Spider-Man book out every two weeks, no holds bar. And Ryan Otley recently tweeted, he was like, I've decided to step away from Spider-Man. He's like, I released 20 issues over two years, which is a lot. But when 48 issues come out, it's it doesn't seem like very many, you know? He's like, he's like, I wasn't seeing my family. I was like starting to feel burnt out on my favorite character ever. He's like, Spider-Man is my favorite character and I was feeling burnt out drawing him. Just because like there is just this breakneck pace that these artists can't keep up with. So then you do get subpar art. You get people that can come in and do it quickly and get it done. And they're the people that end up getting the work because the release schedule is more important. And that's not the way it is with Hellboy. Hellboy would release like four issues a year. He'd be like, here's a miniseries for the year. See you next year. And then when like that was becoming too much, he was like, okay, Hellboy's my baby. Hellboy has to be drawn well. And so he went and he picked like just this little house of artists that have distinct styles from Mignola, but they're really talented. And so when they hop on a book, you're not disappointed. You're like, oh, sweet. I get to see this artist do Hellboy for this story. And that's great. And that's great that with Hellboy being Mike Mignola's baby, he could do that. Like there was no one breathing down his neck. Yeah, not quite like the Wicked and the Divine where it's like, let's run through three different artists and three different sections and three wildly different styles so you can barely keep up with it and you can hardly tell the characters from the last one into this one. That kind of was, that's kind of like the death of Wicked and Divine for me. Anyways. I like Wicked and Divine, but I couldn't do it. Yeah. I still, I, I, I still love that that feeling of like it pretty much just felt like a book for tweens you know where it's like all the gods are actually pop stars and they party <laughs> it's like that's the plot of wicked and divine except that some people start to die you know i love that this podcast has turned into us being like hellboy was so good it's made us turn on evil eye towards a bunch of other stuff <laughs> when did we have a good eye for wicked and divine never never i need like to the first it. volume was pretty solid I love when Jamie McKelvey's on the art, though. When the main artist is on oh, yeah. Wicked and Divine. Mwah. Like the cover, or like the first one you like opened it up and it just had like the splash page of somebody's face and it was all colorful. Man, that was like a revelation. Yeah. Anyway, read Hellboy and maybe not the Wicked and the Divine. Or if you like Wicked and Divine, go for it. That's what's beautiful about comics is that there's something made for everybody except Tokyo Ghoul. That was made for no one. I still think it's for the angsty teen girls. Anyways, do you have anything else you want to say? Just that Hellboy was made so specifically for me. I love it so much. I love, love, love the Egyptian gods. I love Cthulhu and all things Lovecraft, except how racist he was. Not a fan of that. Love the blue-collar protagonist of Hellboy. I just felt like it was such a beautiful, not even a melting pot, because everything stayed so distinct. It was like a beautiful salad bowl of everything I like. And somehow you could have great vegetables and some Doritos in there too. Like they actually put all my favorite foods in and it stayed wonderful somehow. And that's just like a really solid tour de force. And for me, Hellboy was just really fun romp through Halloween. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like a perfect mix of having a really solid story, a really solid setting, and then really solid situations that all those wonderful parts get to come through together. So the synergistic effect of just like all its pieces coming together made it masterpiece. Masterpiece. Masterpiece.